0: Welcome! This is K-Pop Sunday, brought to you by K-Pop Sumbay before you have to go back to work on Monday. We are your hosts, Onyx, Min,
1: and JR. So today's topic will be about how K-Pop spread from Korea to basically the entire world. And just a little disclaimer, none of us are from Korea. And we tried to do as much research as we could on this topic, but it is very difficult to find legit shit information about it since it's such a odd topic and not a lot of actual like scientific research has been done on the spread of kpop because why would they? We tried our best, we will have some sources in our script that we will link in the show notes because there's a lot of information in that document that we just won't have time to cover here that some of you might find interesting. And also, this episode will not be specifically on the Hallyu wave. We will, of course, mention it because the spread of K-pop has a lot to do with it, but it won't be specifically about the Hallyu wave or the politics and everything associated with the Hallyu wave. Okay, so let's start. Onyx, do you want to start us off with the olden
0: days? (laughs) Yeah, the olden days. So I'm going to start by talking about 1992, even though the setup for how K-pop was spread actually started around the 1980s, and that's hugely important. So just so you know, K-pop didn't just start because Soté G and Boys debuted. It started because of technological changes, economic political and social changes that were going on in korea in the 1980s that made it possible for so and boys to debut in 1992 and It was from Soteji and boys that the music industry was also changing because of them they were going in a very different direction than the rest of How music was done back then especially with mainstream music and they were successful because they were making music directed towards Koreans. It wasn't just something that was prepackaged for another country. It was Koreans making music for Koreans about Korea and it didn't just interest the Korean public in Korea, it also interested Koreans who were abroad, Koreans who had settled either in the United States or Europe, many different countries, and for this, just because I could only find really good sources from the US, so I'm going to focus on Korean Americans, who they heard that, oh, there's music in Korea, this is kind of cool, and Koreans were sharing music. They were sharing artists like Soté-G and Boys amongst each other and being really interested in it. And also, uh, we have a case of two idols who actually came out from that. So, Teddy from one time, or you guys might know him better as the producer for YGE, he was born, raised in Korea, but then he went to the U.S., lived there, went to high school with Danny, who became a future band member of his, and he brought over music from Korea and he was sharing them with his friends and then that eventually led to YG Uh, noticing him, offering him to come to Korea to uh, start a group. And then Danny got to go as well, which was pretty cool. So that was one way that Korean-Americans started learning about Korean music in Korea, was that Koreans would bring over their cassette tapes and their CDs over to the U.S., and then they'd let their Korean friends listen to them. And that's sort of how it started to spread in the 1990s. And then also in places such as more Korean areas of the U.S., then that started to spill out into areas that were not as Korean and also stuff such as international channels were starting to go more on air and so then Korean programming was going on there and obviously when there's a TV station it doesn't just have to go to like specific households so more people were finding out about it and Korean artists were interested in coming to the US to either film music videos or to do concerts so that really helps and also in the 1990s and even in the mid 1990s Korean music companies were going to places such as in the US and they were trying to recruit artists from there such as Tony from HOT and Andy from Xinhua, who were friends, they both auditioned for SME and they both got in. Although Andy had to drop out because he was originally being considered for being an HOT member. And it actually was down to votes to the members, like the actual already present members. And they decided they wanted Tony, but that was okay because Andy's parents were kind of Ooh, with the whole K-pop thing. But then they later let him join Xinhua. So it was okay in the end, and everyone's still friends, so that's fine. But every, there started to be more and more interest, and it started to spread from just K-pop being on just music shows, just teens listening to Korean music, to it expanding more and more over time, such as we saw it with variety shows. Idols were trying to appear in dramas. Idols were trying to appear in movies. Idols were just every single barrier that people thought idols were just Something stupid for teenagers. They were breaking down. And then also we've got groups such as Sotegian Boys and H.O.T. who were directly talking about issues in Korea. And especially with H.O.T. that more led to people who weren't teenagers listening to their music and it had an impact on the country just because it was for them. About around 2000 was when K-pop started joining the Hallyu wave. It started to be considered as it. Because, first of all, you did have Korean acts go to other countries and get popularity there. Like, in the 1980s, people like Cho Young-pil, hugely popular in Japan. But with K-pop, though, it wasn't a standard thing where you debut in Korea and then go to Japan and try to break into that market. Back then, it was like you'll appear for a concert here or there, kind of like how we have it with the U.S. right now. And other countries, too. But that more got solidified, though, over time. And a really big moment for that was around 2000, HOT had a concert in Beijing, and it was such a big deal. So many people wanted to go. It caused a lot of traffic jams, and it genuinely scared a lot of people in China who had never thought that a Korean music group would interest China so much that it genuinely startled a lot of people because they'd never seen this before and that was when it was sort of termed as the Hallyu wave with adding in HOT that was the first group who the Hallyu wave was mentioning because before that the Hallyu wave was more down to beauty products and dramas music wasn't really included in that because it had spread but people weren't acknowledging it until this event but then after that though then we get artists such as Boa who started going to Japan in the early 2000s she first debuted in Korea in 2000, a lot of people get this wrong, she debuted in Korea in 2000, got popular. Then she went to Japan around 2002, and that was when she started producing music in Japan. Well, not producing, but singing music in Japan. And one of their strategies was that she had to be fluent in Japanese, and because there wasn't really a language barrier, people genuinely didn't know she was Korean for a long time, and she became popular. And then it was really solidified that groups go to Korea, then Japan, when, um, DBSK or TVXQ decided to do that because they debuted in Korea, massively popular on debut, but then they went to Japan and they had their debut there, wildly popular, and then that sort of became a format where, okay, you don't just stay in Korea. You can go overseas. It's not just these individual artists from big companies. It can be just standard groups, like even groups that are from smaller companies or groups that aren't really popular in Korea. They can go to other countries and they can find success there, or it's expected to go. Oh, there and that also helped with spreading k-pop because more countries were able to see it and also then there was more of an interest in there and such as more websites were translating korean music into english there were more websites that were offering korean products to sell and then now we see more with stores that are starting to do it outside of korea so it's just been a spread over time from something that was little in korea to something that spread more and more just because different artists went overseas companies tried to expand in other countries and also the just more technology, especially with the internet, that really helped to spread K pop. And also, in Korea, back then, the government was really against K pop when Sote GM boys were around, but over the years, Politicians in Korea as well as businesses in Korea and overseas have seen how much money K-pop can potentially bring in, so they've been more supporting. And there's actually a financial report that comes out every year about how the government is promoting K-pop. And because of that though, that people are starting to take it seriously now with this current generation. Then we, we've also seen a lot of backlash for it, but we've also seen people started to research it. But unfortunately, because so many people blew off K-pop for so long, a lot of sources are missing information or they're very inaccurate. So you really got to be careful when you're doing research. But that really catches you up with how the one from Korea to more. But to get into more specifics, uh, Min and JR can tell you more. The side notes,
1: it's kind of funny how the H.O.T. traffic jam happened. That stuff is still happening today, like, most recently, like, was it last year? Where James Charles opened a Sephora store in the UK and made a massive traffic jam.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot
0: about that,
1: yeah.
2: And it's funny, because people were even blowing that off. Yeah, it's like, he's not known by anyone,
0: he doesn't have fans. (laughs) Well, clearly, because he's causing a (laughs) whole ruckus, there's something important there. That's the thing that I loved about the whole H.O.T. event, was that with H.O.T. in (laughs) Korea, they had, starting from around their third album, they were pivoting more towards having their music be towards Korea as a whole than teenagers, even though they kind of, when they debuted, people mainly thought of them as, oh, they're filling the gap that Sote boys had. And then, oh, this is our new pop thing. Teenagers love them. But third album was when they were directly talking to adults, They were talking directly to politicians. They were directly talking to people with who had like their hands in a lot of finances and were infecting people and that their music was trying to reach them, even though their main audience was were still teenagers. So they were starting to be taken more seriously in Korea. So then you get to China and they're like, oh, this is just a pop act. It's like, boy, this is not just a pop act. (laughs) (laughs) They are saying something that the public wants to hear, and China wanted to listen. Well, at least the teenagers of China wanted to listen.
1: So as Onyx mentioned earlier, in the early 2000s, there was a slight push to make more TV channels targeted toward Korean-Americans, such as MTV started taking an interest in Korea and even launching their own channel in Korea itself. In around 2006, MTVK... A american tv channel made for american koreans launched though it went defunct a year later but in 2010 it did get revamped again and went going for a strong seven years before it was put down but a lot of people especially in the states so not including me a lot of people found K-pop through tv channels like this also around the same time there were more Korean acts having their first concerts and tours, with stops including the States, like Rain's Rainy Day Tour, which happened in 2005, followed by the YJ Family 10th Anniversary Tour. So slowly people got to know more of these idols, but things that really helped was in the mid-2000s, specifically in 2005, YouTube launched. It wasn't very popular upon launch, but in 2006, SM Town made their first YouTube channel and slowly started to upload some music videos, quickly followed by YG Entertainment, then JYP, and eventually more labels seemed to join it. And at the same time, idols, slowly started to appear on American TV shows, like in 2008 when Rain appeared on The Colbert Report, which I cannot for the life of me say right, ever. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Okay. To promote the Hollywood movie Speed Racer, which uh, didn't necessarily do that well, but it was a movie and it happened. And in that episode, he had a dance off. And a couple of years later, the Wonder Girls came out with the single Nobody, which is a great song. <laughs> and it managed to get onto the Billboard's Hot 100. It only placed at number 76, but it was the first K pop song to ever be on the Hot 100s. Previously, it was Boa who had made it into the Billboard 200s at 127, so this was kind of a big deal. And the Wonder Girls also appeared on the Fendi Williams show and even had a performance on So You Think You Can Dance. So JYP tried really hard to make them big in America, and in 2009 they also opened for the Jonas Brothers World Tour in the States. So they became the first Korean act to open for an American band in America which was huge because the Jonas Brothers' target audience and the Wonder Girls' target audience were pretty much one and the same at the time. So a lot of people got into K-pop due to the Wonder Girls and the Jonas Brothers. (laughs) And alongside JYP's big push to get them into the US market was also a movie made by Nickelodeon called The Wonder Girls that did uh, also not great, but... They tried, and they also made a couple of songs with artists like Akon and Schoolgirls to promote the movie and to try to get them into the States. It kind of worked, but it didn't work as well as JYP wanted it to, so they after a while kind of did give up, but it did really get a lot of people into K-pop. Though I'm not saying the Wonder Girls or Rain were the first people to ever try to break into the American market, because they weren't. There were attempts, there were some really, really bad attempts back in the 90s, which we don't (laughs) need to talk about ever, but the Wonder Girls really made an impact. Same did BoA as... You heard a bit about earlier, with her impact in Japan,
0: she also tried to go to the
1: States. It didn't really, (laughs) but she tried,
0: at least. Well, with every time that there's a failure, though, it still was someone contributing to trying to push.
1: Yeah, and people did find K-pop through their efforts. Yeah. It just wasn't Even if they
0: were bad efforts and they were mainly making memes out of them. Yeah. Although, to be fair, Wonder Girls was a good one.
1: Wonder Girls was great they targeted towards tweens very hard but it was great yeah america wasn't ready towards the end of the 2000s closer to 2010 you saw even more appearances and concerts like jyj performing at the billboard studios and wonder girls of course had their own tour a lot later crayon pop even opened for lady gaga and in 2011 billboard hosted an event called K-Pop masters which was a two-day concert sponsored by mgm grand which featured big names such as TVXQ, For a minute Sistar, Shiny, and many more. Speaking on concerts, earlier the only K-pop events that used to happen was local cultural festivals that would happen pretty much everywhere there were Korean people. A very well-known one would be the LA Korean Festival, which started in the 70s. And then in the 2000s you had more music events starting, like the... Korean Times Music Festival, and today the most well-known K-pop event would be KCON, and there has become more and more conventions based around K-pop. Like even in my tiny country of Norway, there is a convention just dedicated to K-pop, which is super fun. But that's not really the topic of this episode. <laughs> and people who go to K-pop conventions are usually very into K-pop already. So I think. To to get back on topic of how people got into K-pop, we should definitely talk about the most recent thing to have happened-ish. It's not very recent, it's like seven years ago now. Don't don't Wait. make
0: me feel old, please. <laughs> that was my last time. But it's like seven college. years ago,
1: and a lot of people who have been into K-pop since seven years ago got into K-pop due to this one song. <laughs> by this one dude. <laughs> That <laughs> nobody expected to blow up like it did. Can you talk about that, JR? Of course. I don't want to talk
2: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so of the major events in K-pop history that really blasted the genre to the forefront, and not just in Asian countries and the smaller groups of fans across the Western world, was the release of Psy's Gangnam Style. Yes, we are talking about Psy. Um, Psy was not new to the K-pop scene by any means. He had been active since his debut in 2001 when he debuted with a full-length album called Psy from Psycho World and he had continuously been putting out albums since then only being put on hold for a scandal here and there as well as his mandatory military enlistment. Yeah so by the time that his sixth album came out Psy Six Rules Part One on July 15th 2012 he was somewhat of a veteran and actually quite popular in Asia. But he was about to become a household name all over the world. (laughs) Upon the song's release it received about half a million views and it was gradually growing from there. But then a week later rapper T-Pain tweeted about it telling his fans to go check it out. This type of action in general really boosted the song and that is word of mouth. People going to their friends and saying hey have you seen this yet? It's interesting. And I mean, I know that's how that happened for me and my family. We all kind of sat around and watched the music video and we we're like, what? <laughs> What's happening? What's going on? Because of the three of us, I was not into k-pop at the time this came out. Um So it was really new to me. And I think all my ideas about k-pop kind of came from this song as well. Like I was like, oh, all of it must be like this which is not true and you should not make blanket statements when you see one thing (laughs) <laughs> what about your guys' first time seeing it and your reactions? What were they like?
1: Uh, I remember finding the video at random, like, I think the same day or a couple of days after it came out and I showed it to a friend of mine and she was like, oh my god, this song is amazing. And we would listen to it quite a lot. And then like two weeks later, it had gone viral and we were both like, what happened? Nobody knew about this, like, last week. Help?
0: <laughs> it was intense. Onyx, do you remember this song? Uh, I don't really have phone just confused memories uh because (laughs) I you and everyone else yeah because well yeah that's the only way to explain it um because I heard it and I was like okay not my thing that was kind of fun but don't really it it didn't really have a big impact on me then I went on a plane to Germany and I was there for about a month and during that time because it was back in 2012 the internet was awful So I didn't really get much access to the internet. And also I had just gotten into newest. I wasn't really listening to a lot of K-pop at that time. I was trying to get into German music and American music. So I hadn't really been paying attention to the news about K-pop. hadn't kept up with anything. But then I got back from Germany after not knowing what was going on and everyone was listening to it. And everyone's like, yeah, we all know who he is. (laughs) And we know the dance and stuff like that. And I was just... Like, lost. I was like, I was only gone for six weeks. When I, before I left, no one cared about K pop, and I was one of like the three people I knew of who actually would listen to that. Then I came back and. Everybody who had known me, especially in one of the clubs I was in in college I was like one of like the three people who was into k-pop at that time And I was just like, okay, so this isn't that big of a deal But then everyone in that club there was about a hundred people Everyone knew the dance and like knew parts of the song and they wanted to talk to me about it And I was just like, okay this is very odd to have wow. this. I, I was not. Ex- I had no idea how to deal with it. I was just like, please, there's other K-pop. Please listen to. It. And I was just <laughs> trying to suggest all this other stuff because they got into it. I think partly because, first of all, it was going viral, but also because it's kind of it's kind of a meme. Some of the stuff in there, like it is, oh, it's, yeah. it's chock full of memes. The music video is, but. If you're not familiar with Korean entertainment, you do miss out on some of the funnier ones, I think. Like, um Yoo Jae Sook. How many people watched the music video and didn't realize that... Because a lot of people thought he was just like a weirdo. And it's like, you don't know, he's the nation's MC. Like, he's very beloved, very yeah. sweet guy. Or like, No Hong Chul. Like, with him in the elevator, it's like... How many people even don't know his Yana, personality? Even I mean like... Yeah, even her though, yeah. That's, th- yeah. Also that Yoo Sook from Beast was one of the old dudes. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people didn't, I feel like there's a, like, well, obviously the whole thing is a whole joke about God, what, no. like, how, like, how, like, like the culture yeah, exactly. of Gangnam and, like, the riches of it. that's, like, the whole joke, but it kind of transcended into just being, like, a general, oh, look at all this funny stuff and not getting that there's a connection between all those things. Cause it probably looked really random on for someone on the outside.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of people doing not random da- dancing anything. around
0: places instead of yeah. it's all connecting to this one sort of idea or thought. I just remember just thinking it was so weird. Since middle school, I had been trying to get people to listen to K-pop sort of su- successfully, but usually very unsuccessfully. So then just to be gone for a couple weeks and come back and everyone was suddenly into it. And then they were trying to tell me about how oh and then i went and i listened to girls generation they were like telling me all these like they were listing all these artists that they knew all of a sudden and songs they liked it was just bizarre i had not been expecting it still legendary though i don't know it absolutely is but it was just bizarre though with how of all the songs to blow up It was that one like that's the thing that was just bizarre to me still is but
1: i think it's because the music video is pretty much what internet culture is it's such a weird mix of memes and jokes and it's just catchy so, yeah, very internet.
2: The song continued to blow up, and about a month later in August, it topped Billboard's Social 60 chart, Psy becoming the first K-pop idol to do so, and a few days after that, it topped the Social 50 chart, which was a first as well. At the end of the month, it became the number one song on YouTube's top 100 music videos. It also became the world record holder for the most likes on a YouTube video with over 1.5 million likes. Following this came the television appearances, and man, did everyone want him on their show. He appeared on The Ellen Show, which he was the first K-pop idol to do so, and he was also the first K-pop idol to be a musical guest on SNL. He was on The Today Show and even performed at the American Music Awards, which also was a first. In October, he came in at number two on Billboard's Hot 100 chart, which, again, he was the first to do so. Psy really paved the way. By November, he had overtaken Justin Bieber's Baby as the most viewed music video, and then on December 21, he had hit one billion views which was unprecedented in youtube history and he also went on to top charts in over 30 countries which was the first for a k-pop idol to do so in many of those countries The next year, in March 2013, Psy received a multi-platinum certification, which means he sold over a million units, and this was given to him by the Recording Industry Association of America, making him the first K-pop idol to be RIAA certified. The following month, in April, he released Gentleman, which also ended up breaking the record for most views on a video in one day. Also in 2013, Gangnam Style hit 3 billion views and has stayed around that count for the last six years. Unfortunately, it was dethroned by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth's song, See You Again in 2017, but it held the record for quite a while before that happened, and is now the 7th most viewed video on YouTube at the time of this recording. With Gangnam Style, we saw the rise of reaction videos, which were pretty transformative for the K-pop world. JREKLM started making reaction videos back in 2012 and has since amassed over 1 million subscribers. Another reaction channel, Frying Brothers Entertainment, released their reaction to Gangnam Style and then continued on to post reaction videos to K-pop music videos. One that I really remember pretty well was a lot of ARMY coming onto their page. I think it was specifically like the K-pop videos, but I know they were on their other videos as as well, and they just flooded the comments with, react to BTS, react to to BTS react to BTS. The Fine Brothers put up their BTS reaction, and fans were pretty happy about that. And nowadays, they have even more K-pop content with things like K-pop idols react. Most recent to this recording, Pentagon was on their channel doing a challenge with them, and I think before that, AT's was on doing a challenge with them and meeting their fans. But yeah, another channel that released Korean-based content is Korean Englishman. This UK-based duo releases series where they take friends and family and introduce them to South Korea for the first time, mostly by doing crazy things like showing them incredible restaurants or world-class arcades. Their most recent series was taking their twin friends, and for a portion of that series, they essentially held a mini real man shoot where they went on a Korean base and tried out all the different courses and things like Korean soldiers have to do. They also have a second channel called Jolly, but that isn't necessarily Korean based, but they do incorporate it in every few videos. In 2013, the first YouTube Music Awards were held, and SNSD won Video of the Year for I Got a Boy, and they also performed there. Nowadays, memes are also rampant on YouTube. These memes have also been hijacked and put on shorter format social media sites like Twitter and Instagram. Just to keep it short, today's memes are cycled through at lightning speed and range from screen grabs to Vine-esque short videos. You don't need to scroll that far to find content that is related to K-pop. K-Beauty was also given quite a big boost by YouTube, although Instagram and blogging had a big hand in it as well. The 2010s were really the first time that K-Beauty and skincare were coming into the mainstream, and that manifested in sheet masks. So many sheet masks. According to Euromonitor International, by 2015, K-Beauty sales grew 59% and turned into an industry that brought in over $200 million. Beauty vloggers like Pony amassed tons of subscribers and, of course, US-based K-Beauty enthusiasts popped up too. One of my favorites is Kenny JD. She's hilarious and her content isn't as k-beauty heavy these days, but she has a lot of reviews regarding Korean makeup that you can always go back and look at. I feel like people were also getting kind of fatigued by the heavy makeup styles that were popular in the western countries and it was nice to have this really fresh look that k-beauty was seen to give. Glasskin and Jamsu, which was the putting your face in a bowl of water to like cement your makeup onto it. I saw so many YouTubers attempt this and I tried and it did not work for me, but it worked for other people. But yeah, those kind of came out of the blue and just took over. It also became really accessible to get these makeup products and skincare products with sites like Soko Glam and YesStyle becoming more accessible to the U.S. The appeal of these cosmetics is often in the packaging. Brands like Tony Moly often have cute animals and really bright colors that catch your Eye, and another appeal is that it actually works really well. The skincare is really great, it has weird ingredients like snail slime or volcanic clay, and the cushion foundations make for a supernatural finish, and your favorite idols and actors are ambassadors for them, whether that be male or female. A couple of high-profile brand ambassadors right now are Seventeen for The SEM, actor Lee Dong Wook for Chanel Beauty, Crystal Jung for Clio Cosmetics, and Monsta X for Tony Moly's Lip Tint line. Nowadays, K-Beauty-inspired brands are popping up, which is kind of odd. The only good I can see in them is that a lot of the times, their foundation lines are much more expanded than what you would find in a regular Korean beauty brand. So overall, I think that we can all agree that the spread of k-pop was really organic at the beginning. There was a lot of word of mouth and even though today we are so much more advanced when it comes to technology and the internet, people are still finding k-pop in that organic way like it was 20 years ago through family and friends. For me personally, I was into watching Korean entertainment for quite a few months and then my little sister started watching the dramas with me. Uh, and we've been watching K dramas together for years now, but she only recently started listening to K pop on her own. In 2017, we went to a 17 concert, and mm-hmm. she came with me, but she wasn't a big fan. But this past month, we went to the Pentagon concert, and she went as a fan, so it's just kind of this progression that has come to her actually enjoying the music a lot and listening to it on her own time but yeah i feel like in general what the people around you do and watch and listen to it has a big influence on what you watch and do and listen to so you are so much more likely to get into something when those around you are into it too all right so i'll go on to today's post of the day on october 20th 2015 male rapper sleepy released his single f slash w with the title track keep on which also means feeling featuring Bake Ayeon. It's an upbeat song about feeling good about where you are, even if everyone says it's just a feeling. This is only one of today's posts. The girl group of the day is TWICE with Like, Ooh, Ah, and there's no indie group release today, unfortunately, but you can check out our Tumblr to learn more about the TWICE song.
0: And now for the answer to the trivia question I asked you last time, which was what year did the first Korean hip-hop group debut in? The answer is 1990. On April 1st, 1990, Hyung Jin Young, and Wawa debuted from what is now known as SM Entertainment. Did you know about that? If so, please leave a comment to us on Twitter or any of our other social websites. And we will be back next month with a new question.
1: So that wraps up this episode where we have given you a pretty condensed history about how K-pop spread past just South Korea. So thank you so much again for listening. You can find us on our Tumblr and our Twitter which is at K-pop Sundays. All of this will be in our show notes As I said at the start of the episode, we will link to the entire document where you can see more fascinating dates and fun facts and just generally see what a mess we are. And we hope you'll tune in again for our next episode. Goodbye. Bye! Bye!